0: Hey, this is Ryan Tucker, and we want to thank you for listening to today's sermon with Pastor Stephen as he looks at Romans chapter 1, verses 1 through 6, a response to the reality of Jesus. If you have a Bible today, please take it and go to the book of Romans. Chapter 1, last Sunday we began a new series studying the book of romans we will cover it verse by verse entitled a life transformation and uh last sunday we covered verse one and so today we're going to throw it into overdrive and we're going to cover verses one through six so uh, last sunday it was it was kind of a funny conversation i was walking out after this service headed back to my office down the mallway, and uh, there were two guys standing there and, and one of them who who's been here longer than i've been here he uh, he said uh, hey, "Hey pastor so so it's going to take you a year and a half to cover uh, the book of romans and um, and then before I could even answer a guy who's not been here very long spoke up and said, "I was thinking the exact same thing there's only sixteen chapters in Romans." Hey, For real, how in the world will it take you a year and a half to cover the book of Romans? And then the other guy spoke up and said, that's not what I meant. How in the world is he going to finish the book of Romans in a year and a half? He said, undoubtedly, you've not been here for any of his book series. So um, anyway, I don't know. He said, that's not how the pastor does it. I don't, I don't know if he meant that good or bad, um, but it is what it is. But today, we're picking up again, here's Paul, Paul's writing, we'll cover verse 1, because really, it just helps us understand 2 through 6. Paul is talking about, uh, really, our response to the reality of who Jesus Christ is. So, look there with me, we're in Romans chapter 1, verse 1. Paul, a bondservant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated to the gospel of God which he promised before through his prophets in the holy scriptures concerning his son Jesus Christ our Lord who was born of the seed of David according to the flesh and declared to be the son of God with power according to the spirit of holiness by the resurrection from the dead. Paul does not believe in periods. That's the longest run-on sentence I think I've ever seen. Verse 5. Through him we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. Two things that we're going to focus on today, and there are several things that are going to come off of those two main things. The first one I want you to look at is the reality of Jesus And when we're talking about the reality of Jesus, there are three questions that I want to ask you, and I want you to see if you can answer, yes, this is how I really believe. Question number one, do you really believe that Jesus lived in the flesh? Do you really believe that? Verse three, if you look at it again, it's talking about Jesus's nature. How Jesus was a descendant of David. So here's what that means. That means that there was a man who lived in the flesh whose name was Jesus Christ. You're like, that's just so simple and so basic. But really, that's where you have to start. See, there are some today that suggest Jesus never existed that Jesus is kind of like Hercules or Jack in the Beanstalk. He's some mythological character. He's some fairy tale. So when you start asking the question, was there really a Jesus? Then you have to say, well, I mean, do you read anywhere else about Jesus outside of the Bible? Because I've been speaking to folks before about Jesus and they say, well, I don't really believe there was a Jesus. And And then when I start talking about the Bible, they say, well, let me just stop you right there. I don't believe in the Bible. I don't believe that that's truth. All right, let's just go there. There are a number of extra biblical references to Jesus. By that, I mean it's in other writers' works. I'll give you two, for example, this morning. One is a Jewish historian by the name of Josephus. You've heard me talk about him before. In 90 AD, here's what Josephus wrote about Jesus. Now listen, he just wrote about history. He was not a follower of Christ. He was not a Christian, but here's what he wrote. Now there was a man named Jesus, a wise man, if it be lawful to call him a man, for he was a doer of wonderful works, a teacher of such truth that men received it with pleasure. He drew over to himself many Jews and many Gentiles. He was Christ. And when Pilate, at the suggestion of the principal men around us, condemned him to the cross, those who loved him from the first did not forsake him. For he appeared to them, restored to life." For the divine prophets had foretold these and other wonderful things about him, and the tribe of Christians so named for him are not extinct to this day. Now, I believe Josephus was on to something when he described Christians as a tribe of individuals. We are a tribe, aren't we? You know, there, he, basically, this Jewish historian tells us, again, outside of the Bible, there was a man named Jesus who really lived. He lived in the flesh. But let's give you another example. There was a Greek writer, writer by the name of Lucian. Lucian, not only was he not a Christian, but he hated Christians. He despised them. He was very hostile towards Christians. Fifty years later, here's what he wrote in a letter. He wrote, the Christians, you know, they worship a man to this very day. The distinguished person who introduced their novel rites, and he was crucified on that account. It, it was impressed upon these Christians by their original lawmaker that they are all brothers from the moment that they are converted. And they deny the gods of Greece. They worship their crucified sage, and they live after his So there are writers outside of the Bible who say, yes, there was a man who lived in the flesh and his name was Jesus Christ. That's where you've got to start. Do you believe that Jesus really lived in the flesh? That's the reality of Christ. But then there's a second question. Do you believe that Jesus really died on a cross? One thing to think that he lived. Another thing to think that he died. History, again, tells us that even outside of biblical evidence, there was a man named Jesus Christ who was crucified. Now, there's nothing really rare about a man living in the flesh. I mean, we see that every single day. We see it all around us in this room. Also, there's nothing really rare about a man being crucified by the Romans. The Romans crucified tens of thousands of common criminals. So there was nothing unique to Christ about that. Uh, But you have to believe he really died. There are folks who say this. They say that, you know, he was on the cross, but he really didn't die. He was just kind of unconscious. And when they put his body in the tomb, the coolness of the tomb kind of resuscitated him. And that's what happened. He never really died on the cross. I hate to even say this, but it's absolutely true. You can go into some churches today, I would call them liberal churches today, that they'll have a pastor who will stand up and claim to be a Christian and he'll say there really was no bodily resurrection. He'll say he was merely spiritual in nature. Spiritual to the mind of his followers, spiritual to the hearts of his disciples. Well, folks, I, I believe Jesus really, really died. He was stone cold dead. So the reality is, do you believe he lived? Do you believe he died on a cross? Do you believe that really happened? And the third question is what sets apart those who follow Christ from those who do not follow Christ. Do you believe he really came back from the grave? It's the resurrection of Christ that divides what people believe about Jesus. Because there are multitudes of people who admit that Jesus was a good man. They say Jesus was a good teacher. Jesus brought forth a great moral cause. But to say that he died, and to say that he came back from the dead, that's what makes him completely different. Verse 3 that we read this morning talks about his human nature, but look with me in verse 4 again. Verse 4 says... And declared to be the son of God. In English, the word declared doesn't really cut it. I think it's an unfortunate translation. Uh, the, The word in the original Greek is where we get our word horizon. You know what a horizon is. I mean, here we are, we live arguably with the world's most beautiful beaches. I don't know who would argue with that. You ever been to the beach in Alabama? <laughs> Mississippi, Texas? Let's be honest. Ours are pretty nice. I can remember when we were getting ready to move here 11 years ago. And and our son, who's 13 now, you know, he was just he was just 2 years of age, so he really didn't know what was going on. We could we could easily bribe him with candy or something like that. But our girls were older. They were in later elementary school age, and Jennifer and I were like, man, this is going to be hard on them, leaving their school, leaving their friends. Little Rock was all they ever knew, and so, uh, you know, we thought, well, we're not going to tell them. Uh, We'll kind of let them know what's going on on the ride down to Florida. And some of you are like, how horrible that is. No, 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 honestly, honestly, we were doing them a favor because some of the nosiest people in the world are in Baptist churches. We wanted them legitimately to say, I don't, I don't know anything about my daddy going to another church. And we said, we're going to go down to Florida and we're going to visit friends. We were. You. <laughs> and so we came down here and we were really concerned. And what we did is after, after, after we got voted in. To be your pastor, we, we took them out to St. Andrews Park. And we were sitting out there. And when we left Little Rock, it was snowing. And we were sitting out there and the water was rolling in. Just that beautiful white sand and talking to the girls. And I can remember saying, you know what, girls? If we move here to Florida, we can come to the beach anytime we want to. Beautiful sunset. Oh, Man, don't we have some of the prettiest sunsets you've ever seen in your life? Also sunrises, but s- some of you wouldn't know that. Um, <laughs> and we're, we're sitting there, and beautiful sunset, girls. We come to the beach anytime. Not too long ago, our girls are in college now. Not too long ago, one of them even said to me, "Hey, Dad, you remember when we moved here and you said we could come to the beach or go to the beach anytime we wanted to?" I said, "Yeah, I remember that." And she said, uh, "But we never go," and I said, "I know it." I know. We go anytime we want to, though. We, we can. And now that you've got a car, you can go anytime you want to. Beautiful, right? Where, where the sun goes down, it's almost like it's just dropping down into the old gulf, into the water, right? That, that line of demarcation to where you're like, where does the, where does the water stop and where does the sun sky start. That is the horizon. And so notice what it says in this passage of Scripture. It, it uses the word horizon in the original language. Now, it really wouldn't make sense to us if we read verse five or verse four saying that he was horizon to be the Son of God with power according to the Spirit of holiness. It really doesn't make a lot of sense right there. But here's what the Bible is saying. The Bible says that Jesus Christ was horizon to be the Son of God by the rest resurrection. The resurrection is that line of demarcation. The, the resurrection is, is where you're like, that kind of separates the humanity from the divinity. And There have been a lot of religious teachers, but I'm here to tell you, Jesus Christ is the only one who ever lived in the flesh, died, came back to life, never to die again. What about those near-death experiences, Pastor? I would say there's a key word in that phrase, near. Near-death experiences. Well, now, hang on. What about Lazarus? The Bible says that Lazarus was dead. He was in the tomb for four days. Absolutely, he was. Jesus brought him back to life. But old Lazarus died again. Yeah, he did. These folks who have near-death experience, they, they die. Their bodies, their corpse are laying in a cemetery somewhere or their their ashes are in an urn on your mantle. I, I don't know. But not Christ. See, there's a difference between being revived and being resurrected. He was resurrected. That's what he means when he says he was horizoned. He was set apart from everyone else by the resurrection from the dead. Muhammad cannot claim that. Nor can the... Followers of Muhammad in Islam claim that because Muhammad is dead. He is not alive forevermore. How dare you say something like that in the politically correct age we live in? It's the truth. It's the truth. Buddhists cannot claim it. Listen to me. Those who follow the teachings of Confucius cannot claim it. Jesus Christ is the only one who claims it. And so when it comes to Jesus' resurrection, really there are only two positions that we can hold to. Either it's fact, or it's fiction. Either it really happened, or it really didn't. I've met some people whose names are on church rolls, who attended frequently, or I mean, infrequently, or I I guess they would define what that is, but they say, you know what, I I go to church because it kind of makes me feel good, or I go to church because of the connections that I make, or I go to church because I want my kids to be here, or I go to church because I want something to be written in my obituary when I die, or I go to church because I'm thinking about running for political office. I go to church because my wife tells me to. (laughs) Threw me off on that one. (laughs) Amen, brother. I hear you on that one, son, right? But listen to me. But you know what, pastor? If you really pin me down, no, I don't believe it. I believe the story was something the early disciples concocted to try to perpetuate their message, and it was working in that kind of world and to gain acceptance at that day in time. The, the, you know, The reality is everybody in this room, everybody that's listening to me today, wherever you may find yourself, you're in one of two categories when it comes to the resurrection. Either you believe it happened or you believe it was a fictional story. And there are some good people who don't believe it happened. There are some good people who've not believed it happened. I admire Thomas Jefferson. Thomas Jefferson had one of the greatest minds when it came to government, when it came to education, when it came to politics. Thomas Jefferson was a deist. Do not mistake that for a Christian. Here's what that means. It means he believed in a deity, but he did not believe Jesus was God. Thomas Jefferson had the practice of taking his Bible and taking a pen and marking through anything in his Bible that would be described as the miraculous. If you, uh, if you go to... Thomas Jefferson's home in Monticello today. You can see the very Bible where he marked out sections he didn't believe. He went through his Bible, marked out all throughout the Gospels, uh, the stories that tell of of the resurrection and the narratives that were there. If you were to read Thomas Jefferson's Bible, then the Gospel would basically in this way. The disciples took the body of Jesus, laid it in the tomb, they rolled a stone over the entrance, and they left extremely Sad and dejected into the story. For some people, that's the story of Jesus. What is it that sets Christians apart? We believe that He really came back from the grave. We believe that He is alive forevermore. We believe that He woke up, got up, stood up, rose up, and He showed up, and He will be forever. Do you really think he came in flesh as a man? Do you think that he died on a cross? Do you, do you really, really believe that he rose from the grave? That's the reality of Jesus. You see the case that Paul's making here? It's almost like he's a defense attorney. He's saying, hey, let's talk about this man, Jesus. Do you believe this, do you believe this, do you believe this? But then he rolls it over, and this is where it's gonna get really personal. You like that, right? Man, he's an up front, in your face kind of guy. You think I'm that way? <laughs> man, I'm an angel compared to Paul. Paul says, now let's talk about the response. And he talks about his own response, but he really, he's really making a point for you and I. What is the response? Well, here's what I mean by that. Do you know it's possible for you to accept a historical event and it not make a difference in your life? I'll give you a case. How many of you literally believe that in 1969, Neil Armstrong set foot on the moon. Raise your hand. All right. What did he say? One small step for man, a giant leap for mankind. Do you know not everybody everybody believes that happened? I had a guy in my last church, I kid you not, at least once a month would come up to me and say, Pastor, the government lied to us about it. Man has never been on the moon. They filmed that in some studio out in Hollywood. It never really happened. You need to give me five minutes with the church just to let the church know all the lies that the The government's lying about everything. I'm like, well, you you might be on to something there. But but you're not getting the mic. You know, and then he'd come back, Pastor, if I could just have five minutes. In pastor terminology, here's what that means. All afternoon... Well, I believe that it really happened. Happened before I was born, but I believe it happened. It didn't change my life. It didn't. I don't think anything's different now in my life. It wouldn't have been different in my life if man had not landed on the moon. I mean, you either believe it or you don't believe it. But when it comes to Jesus, it's how you respond to the reality of Jesus that determines everything. What do we mean by response? We mean a life change. A life change. And here's what he means by that. He kind of breaks it down. The first question is this, when it comes to your response, do you have faith? Do you have faith? Look in verse 5. He talks about his own response. He says, through him, Jesus, through Jesus, we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to faith among all nations for his name, among whom you also are called of Jesus Christ. Notice those three words that he uses there, faith, obedience, and called. He says, that's the way that we respond to the reality of there was a man named Jesus who lived in the flesh, died on the cross, and rose from the grave. Faith, obedience, and called. You say, well, doesn't obedience come first? Well, yeah, I mean, it does in the Scripture. But listen, he says there obedience comes from what? Faith. There is faith before there is ever Obedience. And we're talking about for total trust. We're not just talking about mental uh, agreement here. It's possible for a man or woman to believe that Jesus did live in the flesh, to believe that Jesus did die on a cross, to believe that Jesus did rise from the grave, and yet it not make a difference in their life. I'm just saying you may believe the reality of Jesus Christ and you still die and you go to hell. Because it's a trust issue. Do you trust the reality of Christ to surrender your life in faith to Him? There are folks that are afraid to do all kinds of things. They will not put their faith, they will not put their trust in it. Some people don't put their trust in flying. You might be among the group of people who refuse to fly. I've had some friends that were that way. Had a pastor friend who, you know, he would drive. Even if he was going to preach at a church that was six, seven, eight hours away, he would always drive because he he didn't believe in flying. I'm like, are you kidding me? I'll fly if it's 30 minutes away. I hate driving. I heard a story when it came to flying one time. There was this old barnstormer back in the early infancy days of of aerodynamics and flying and aircrafts and all that. With this old barnstormer, he flew this little prop plane and it was a two-seater with an open cockpit. And he would fly from town to town and he would basically charge people $20 to take a ride in his airplane. So he landed in the pasture of this little old town one time, and he was standing out there outside of the airplane. All the town folk came and gathered around. He said, all right, who would like to take a ride in the airplane? Only $20. Nobody would take it. $20 is a lot of money to them. And he said, all right, all right, who would like to take a ride? Only $10. Nobody said a word. There was an old farmer there who spoke up and he said, you know, I've always wanted to see one of these contraptions before, but I ain't going to pay $10 to ride in it. And the pilot said, I'll tell you what, I'll make you a deal. You ride in this airplane, and if you can ride in it and not say one single word, not utter one single sound, it'll be a free ride. You say one word, make one sound, you owe me $20. He said, I'll do that grabbed his wife. They jumped in the back seat and they took off. That pilot turned every loop you could up and down, took it all the way to the very top, stalled it out, caused it to go in a death spiral. And just the last moment he jerked it back up. And he did, I mean, he almost made himself sick. There were times that he was afraid the old farmer didn't say one word, not one word. Finally, the pilot said, he's not going to say a word. I'm scared myself. i, I got to land this plane. Landed the plane. He said, sir, I want to tell you, you're the bravest man I've ever met in my life. I can't believe you didn't say a word or a sound. There were times that I was even scared. And the farmer said, well, I almost hollered one time. He said, when was that? He said, about halfway through. Well, my wife fell out of the plane. I almost yelled <laughs> and said. Mmm. There's some of you that come to mind when I tell that story. (laughs) I don't know, I mean, some of you are like, not me, I am not going to fly, no way, no how. You know the reason why some folks don't fly? They've just not arrived at a point where they're willing to trust the airplane. They're not willing to trust the law of aerodynamics. They're not willing to trust uh, the pilots, and I don't fault them for that. There are just some people who have chosen not to put their faith and trust in those things. And the same is true when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. Think of faith in Jesus Christ, and this is a poor example, but think of faith in Jesus Christ like faith in flying in an airplane. You can go out to ECP airport this afternoon and you can watch those airplanes land and take off day in and day out. You can say, you know what? I believe that airplanes can fly. You can get all the books that you want to read about aerodynamics. You can say, I believe in the law of aerodynamics. I believe in the Wright brothers. I believe in everything else. You can even talk to people who said, I've flown a lot in my life. I wouldn't hesitate to get on a plane right now. You know what? I'd rather fly than I would drive. You can do all those things. You can believe in your head all those things, but it is not until you put your faith in that pilot. It's not until you put your faith in that, in, in that plane. It's not until you put your faith in the law of aerodynamics that you do What? That's when you climb up that little stair and you get into that airplane, you sit down in that little seat, you put on that seat belt, you take the coffee that they've given you and you pull your mask down and take a sip and you pull your mask back up. Here's my whole deal. Don't give me something to drink if I got to wear my mask to drink. Anyway, that's just a personal opinion. Only when you sit there and that little thing taxis down the runway and the next thing you know it's in the air that you say, I have faith in flying. I trust. I trust the pilots. I trust the law of aerodynamics. I trust the airplane. You've moved from believing it in your head to now entrusting your whole life to it. That's faith. That is trust. My country pastor growing up never went to college, never went to seminary, but I'm telling you some of the most profound things that I ever heard came out of that old rural country preacher's mouth. And one of the best preachers I've ever heard, and here's what he said, and you've probably heard this as well, a lot of folks are going to go to hell and they're going to miss heaven by about 18 inches, the distance from their head to their heart. They believe there was a man who lived named Jesus Christ. They believe that he died on a cross. They believe that he rose from the grave. But the problem is they've never surrendered their faith and their trust to him. You can believe all those statements. But it's until you entrust him with your life that it becomes real. Do you have faith? Here's a second question about your response do you have obedience? Faith leads to something else. In fact, if you look in verse 5, he even tells us that. He says, for obedience to the faith. That's the second response. You obey Jesus. Why? Because you put your faith in Jesus. You put your trust in Jesus. Faith that does not obey uh, is faulty. Here's the dilemma that we have. I'm, I'm not even going to say in the United States of America. I'll just say all the way around the world. There are a lot of fee- people who sit there and say, I believe in God. There are a lot of people who sit there and say, I believe in the Bible. There are a lot of folks that sit there and say, hey, I am a Christian. You say, well, that's wonderful that a lot of people would say that. What is the dilemma, pastor? The dilemma is this. They're not living that. That's not their lifestyle. They're ignorant of this book. They're not obeying the book. What they're saying is, I believe this and I have faith, but you look and there's been no change whatsoever in their lives. There's no difference between them and someone who says, I don't believe that Jesus lived. I don't believe that Jesus died. I don't believe that he rose from the dead. You can say all day long that you believe something, but unless you're willing to obey God, your faith is faulty. So you say, I believe. I believe in God. I believe in Jesus, Uh, but I don't think you got to go to church. Huh? What? Oh, I'm getting personal now. You're like, why'd you invite me to come? So he would yell at me because they love you. Oh yeah, I believe in God and believe in Jesus. I just don't believe in God. Read the book. Read the book. The book says there's something desperately wrong with someone who professes to be a follower of Christ but does not understand the importance of regularly gathering together with other believers. You say, well, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but I don't think you have to love your neighbor. It's in the book. Read the book. Obey the book. Well, I believe in God and I believe in Jesus, but you know, I really believe that faith is a private issue. My goodness, if I hear that from somebody else again, oh, I'm going to spit in the grass. Is going to die. It just drives me crazy. I believe faith is a private issue. It's not anything public that you should discuss. I'm telling you, friend, you try your family explaining that at your funeral one day. You'll never read that in the Word of God. Oh, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I don't believe you have to be public in baptism. Read the book. You're not baptized to be saved. You're baptized because you are saved. Obey the book. You see what I'm saying here? You can say that you believe what you believe, all that you want to, but only what you believe is what you obey. Christians say this oh I believe the Bible I believe it from cover to cover I've even heard this said I believe it from the index to the maps but the reality is the only part of this book that I believe and the only part of the book that you believe is the part that you and I obey everything else is just fluff is there obedience in your life that's the question What is your response? (laughs) What is your response? Okay. Is there faith? Is there obedience? And then, do you have a relationship? There's a sequence there. Faith produces obedience, provides a relationship. Look at verse 6. Among whom you also are the called of Jesus Christ. I like how the NIV reads, and I'm not a big fan of the NIV, but here's what it says Who are called to belong to Jesus Christ? I like that phrase. Belong to Jesus. Sometimes people will say this I belong to Highland Park Baptist Church. Can I tell you what I love to do today? I love to be out and I just love to talk to folks, and you know, and I'll say, Hey, Hey, you go to church anywhere, I'd love to invite you to my church. And they'll say, oh, I belong to Highland Park Baptist Church. And I'll say, I've heard they got a really good preacher down there. Oh, yeah, he's good. He's good. Now, remind me, what's his name again? Oh, you know, I just call him preacher. I belong to Highland Park Baptist Church. Friend, listen to me, you better belong to Jesus belonging to a church never got anybody into heaven. But I belong, I belong. You ever gone to a restaurant before and, I don't know, maybe, maybe guys, you drop your wife, you drop your kids off at the door because you don't want them to have to walk that far. It's all hot and sticky and all that kind of stuff. You drop them off at the door and then you go park the car. Now, I know some of you, some of you are like, hey, let me out here. You go park the car and gas it up while you're gone. No, you don't do that you let them off at the door, you go park the truck, you come back and you walk in, you go up to the hostess and you say, hey, hey, uh, my family, oh, there they are right over there, I, I belong with them. It means you, you have a family relationship with them, right? Parents, grandparents, well, maybe, maybe not parents. Parents a lot of times are like, I don't know who that kid belongs to. I don't see He's acting like a fool, I, I, don't, I don't, his parents should teach him better than that grandparents though never that way oh that's my grandbaby right there can do no wrong look at them oh man they're a trendsetter look at those clothes they got the parents are like where are you wearing those clothes from Uh, well i went and i shopped down at goodwill's where i buy my clothes well why i just bought you a bunch of new clothes no 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 i want the old clothes grandparents like look at them trendsetters so pretty (laughs) that's my grandbabies they belong to me it, it, I spend a lot of time at the baseball field, right? I, I, I coach thirteen, 14, 15 year olds in baseball because my kid plays baseball and I've told him the moment you're done with it, I'm done with it too. And so, but I'm there and, and, and you can always tell the grandparents from the parents because a kid will come up and let's just say that he strikes out and the parent will be sitting there. Come on, man, you got you to gotta keep, keep that elbow up and you got to watch the ball, keep your head down. You know, we've worked on this, man. You got to tighten up that swing, keep it in tight. Grandparents will be like, great swing. This is the best swing I've ever seen. You tried real hard. So good, so good. They belong to me. Right? They belong to me. That's kind of what he's saying in this passage of Scripture right now. So, so let me ask you a question. When Jesus Christ is talking to the Father, Jesus Christ is talking to the angels, does he say about you, hey, he belongs to me. She belongs to me. You've got a relationship with Jesus Christ. It's moved from mental agreement to heart change. Now, I want to compare it with another one of our forefathers, George Washington. Do you believe that George Washington lived? Sure. Do you believe that he was first president of the United States? Yeah. Do you believe that he was a great Revolutionary War General? Yes. Do you believe that he had wooden teeth? Why not? Do you believe that he crossed the Delaware river yes do you believe that he cut down the cherry tree yes you can believe all those things about him but is there anybody in this room that knows george washington personally no why he's dead well there's jesus of nazareth do you believe he was born of a virgin yes do you believe that he lived a sinless life yes Do you believe that he died on the cross? Yes. Do you believe that he came back from the dead? Yes. Is there anyone in this room who knows Jesus Christ personally? Yes. Y'all did so much better than the first service. They thought it was a trick question. They just all sat there real quiet. I don't know. I don't know what to say. Yes, yes, yes. Oh, friend, listen to me. You can't know George Washington. He's dead, but you can know Jesus Christ because he is alive. And there are folks, that are like, you're crazy. You're weird. That's beside the point. But I know him. I I know him more intimately than I know anyone. I talk to him every day. I, I, I talk to him many times throughout the day. I'm always aware of his presence with me. Paul's asking the question, how have you responded to the reality of Jesus? Do you know Jesus Christ? Friend, listen to me. You can believe in the resurrection of Jesus Christ, but unless you know Jesus Christ, you've never experienced the resurrection in your own life. Vance Havner, the great traveling preacher, used to tell a story of a man who came home one day and his wife was visibly shaken. She was visibly upset. He said, honey, wh- wh- what's wrong? She said, something strange happened today. She said, someone came and they knocked on the door and I answered the door and it was a stranger that I'd never met before, a man. And he simply said, ma'am, do you know Jesus. She said, I was was so surprised and shaken by what he said. I slammed the door in his face and I walked to the back of the house. And her husband got upset. Her husband said, honey, why did you do that? Honey, why didn't you tell him that you sing in the choir every single Sunday down at our church? Honey, why didn't you tell him that you're the president of the women's group down at our church? Honey, why, don't you te- why didn't you tell him that you lead the effort to make sure shoes and socks are on little boys and girls? Honey, why didn't you tell him that you also are a part of the group that makes sure food goes home with kids every single weekend? Why didn't you tell him that at Christmas time you lead the charge to get all the toys for the boys and girls? Why didn't you tell him those things? And she said, because that's not what he asked. He asked me if I knew Jesus. The most important question you can ever answer is, do you personally know Jesus? I would dare say most of us in this room would say, yes, I believe that to the first three questions. It may be the response that we get a little hung up on. The good news is, that can all change today, right? I'm going to ask you to bow your heads with me. Your heads bowed, your eyes closed. Do you know Jesus? You see, the reason why we teach the Bible in our services here is because the Bible meets us right at the heart of the issue. God, God knows the real us. On the outside, we, we kind of make, make it look like everything's put all together. God knows the truth, right? What, what is he calling you to do and respond today in light of what we've studied in his word? For some of you to know Jesus to have a personal relationship with him. If that is you, if today you would say, you know what, Pastor, today, I'm ready to settle this once and for all. Today, I am ready to put my faith and my trust and be obedient in my life. I want a relationship with Jesus. If that is you, I invite you right now, right inside your heart, would you just speak to him? That's right. Pray to him. Now friend, listen to me. Putting your faith in a prayer (laughs) never gave anybody a relationship with Jesus. Words, nothing magical in words that can do anything. But the intent and the desire of your heart. May you convey that right now in your mind, in your soul to him. Lord Jesus, would you just say that to him? Lord Jesus, I am a sinner. And I need you to forgive me of my sins. Jesus, I ask you today to come into my life. I surrender my trust, my faith to you. Lord, change my life. Jesus, I believe all the questions the pastor said today. You lived, you died, you rose again. Believe that. And now I surrender control of my life to you. Jesus, I want to serve you. Would that be your prayer today? Hey, if that's what you're feeling in your heart, I invite you. Turn to him right now. Others of you in this room. It's amazing how the Holy Spirit can always take scripture that I think is going to go one way, and he can use it to speak to someone else in a very different way. That is the supernatural ability of the Spirit of God. I would just encourage you today, whatever it is he's saying, whatever he's speaking, maybe it's something in the line of obedience. I just remind you, just a a great course of action to take. Just do what the book says. Today, would you just say, Lord, through the power and the help of your Holy Spirit, I commit to do what the book says. Oh, God, may you speak. May you move during this time. A lot of different people in this room, a lot of different backgrounds. Something that unites us all, Jesus, we need you. So may you speak so clearly right now. We pray there'd be no disruption. But instead, we would listen intently to what your spirit says. As we lay the word of God over our hearts, may you reveal what we need to do. So that you might get glory through the very life that you've given to us. In Jesus' name we pray. Hi, this is Pastor Stephen Kyle, and I want to thank you today for listening to our Unchangeable Truth podcast. Our prayer is that you have been challenged as well as encouraged as we study God's Word verse by verse. If you're ever in the Panama City area, we would love for you to come and worship with us in person at Highland Park Baptist Church, 2611 Highway 231 North in Panama City. If you want to learn more about our ministry and about our church, we would encourage you to go to our website, www.highlandpark.org. P-A-R-K, if you have any questions or any comments about today's podcast, feel free to shoot us an email at info at highlandpark.org. That's H-I-L-A-N-D-P-A-R-K.org. Our prayer is that you would continue to draw close to God. And if you don't know Christ as Lord and Savior, please reach out to us and let us share with you the greatest story that's ever been told. God bless.